Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to begin a series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, folks, if, if you notice in my prayer, without Him, we can do nothing. I mean, we can get up in the morning, we can go to work, but it won't count for the mission. In fact, there's people, and I've been one of them, at times where you're in ministry, and you're trying to serve the Lord, and you're doing it in your own power, and it amounts to nothing. You could be the most talented preacher, most talented pastor in the world, but if you're not walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, it will amount to nothing. The only way I can convince you of the Word of God is if the God of the Word is riding out and penetrating your heart, the Holy Spirit, moving upon His people, moving upon those who are not yet His people, drawing them to salvation with the gift of Jesus. So if you turn in your Bibles, this should be up on the Bible at Mark chapter 1, verse 9, Mark chapter 1. Verse number 9, the Bible app is the Version Bible app. You click on events and it should be right there. Manual Church of Hooks it, click on that and you'll see the scriptures and the notes are there. Mark chapter 1 verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water... He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And so the question we have this morning is just who, who is, what is the Holy Spirit? Some may be inclined to think the Holy Spirit is an it or that it is a, it's simply a power that's available to us as believers. But the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a will. He has intellect. He has emotion. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved in our lives. That we can quench him in our lives. We'll be getting into that in a few weeks. Where we talk about the Holy Spirit in conjunction to the believer. The Holy Spirit is, is referred to as the third person of the Trinity. The Trinity is the Godhead. God is one God in three distinct persons. All equal but with different roles. And so we, we, we refer to him as the third person of the Trinity because in the Great Commission, when Jesus commissioned his disciples, he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of them equal. For those who 
are inclined to think that Jesus is just a, um, a God or is less than God. He is completely equal to God, but with a different role, with a different role. In the passage that we just read, we see all three aspects of God, all three persons of the Trinity of the Godhead, present at one time. So there's some false doctrine that says God takes various forms, one form at a time. Right? He doesn't take one form at a time. He's three persons in one. And so here at the baptism of Christ, you have the presence of the Father, the presence of the Son, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the same place at the same time. And it's really interesting when we begin to look at the Holy Spirit in relation to Jesus, the Holy Spirit in relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at how the Holy Spirit and Jesus interacted. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verse 1, he has just experienced his baptism. And when Jesus was baptized, um, some people have this idea that in order to be saved from hell and death and to be forgiven of our sins, that we need to be baptized. The, the theology of that is called baptismal regeneration. That's a false doctrine. You do not need to be baptized in order to be saved. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ alone, not by any work or deed that we can do. Baptism for the believer identifies us with Christ. His death, his burial, and his resurrection it identifies us with the body of the church, but it doesn't save us. It doesn't add to our salvation. It's an act of obedience. So here is Jesus being baptized. Clearly, Jesus does not need to be saved. He does not need to have his sins washed away. He is Christ, the Son of God. He is sinlessly perfect, but he's baptized to identify with mankind. He's baptized to identify with the nation of Israel. And this was the beginning of his ministry as he comes up out of the water. This is it, folks. The ministry is about to really get ramped up. The mission is about to really get started. So Jesus left the Jordan full. Uh, notice this. He left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Sometimes I miss a day eating, and I feel like I'm starving to death. That's an understatement. Jesus was incredibly hungry. Would you agree with that? See, Jesus is all God and all man, and in his human form, he experienced all of the things that we experience, the temptations, but without sin. He experiences hunger and weariness. All of the emotional gamut that, we, gamut that we experienced, Jesus experienced. So the devil came to him. The devil said to him, remember, he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for a purpose. What was the purpose? To be tempted by the devil. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live by bread alone. So he took him up and showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, 
I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it's been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. Jesus answered him, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, if you're the son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it said, do not test the Lord your God. And after the devil finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. I'm not going to go into the details of the temptation of Christ. That's not the point of this message, but read it for yourself again. Observe how the devil tempted Jesus and recognize some of the same tricks that he uses against us today. One of the main tricks the devil used in that little passage that we just read was a little word called if. If you're the son of God, do this. If you're the son of God, do that. And I believe the devil is still saying the same thing to the children of God today. If you're the son of God, test God. Thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. There's people that are walking around testing God all the time. Don't test, trust. Trust Jesus, trust the Lord. What I want to talk about this morning is Jesus in relation to the Holy Spirit. And the first thing we're going to look at really briefly is that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was after he was baptized and fully identified himself with mankind. The Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove, rested upon him, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this filling shouldn't be overlooked. We're going to discuss that as we get going, but this filling should not be overlooked. Jesus was all God, all man. At no moment did he set aside his divinity. But he did set aside, at times, his deific powers. And he walked the face of the earth as a human being. And as he walked the face of the earth as a human being, all God, all man, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you think if it was important for Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit that it might just be important to us today? Do you think? David, after David, King David in the Old Testament, he had sinned horrifically. He had essentially raped Bathsheba. The inequality of power and position was immeasurable when he called her to his bed. And then he had her husband murdered, essentially. He murdered her husband by putting him at the front lines of a battle intentionally, told his general to put him where the fighting was the fiercest. And he went on living like this for roughly a year or so until the prophet Nathan came into his presence and said, you're the man. You are the man in the story that he had told him. He told him a story about a little lamb that was a household pet, like my dog Edgar. Now people don't take dogs and, well, some people do, I guess, and slay them and cook them and eat them. Can't quite imagine what that might taste like. Uh, But sheep they regularly eat in the Middle East. 
But this sheep was like part of the family. And this landowner, this really wealthy man who had flocks of sheep, didn't want to take one of his sheep. He wanted to take this other man's sheep for this big feast he was having. So he exerted his power and his wealth over this one poor man and took his sheep, slaughtered his sheep for his feast. And the king was incensed when Nathan was telling this story. Imagine this, king, I want to tell you a story. Now in the story, the sheep represents Bathsheba. David had plenty of women. In fact, he had so many women that he influenced his son Solomon to be the first porn addict. Solomon had 1,000 women at his disposal. He was influenced by his dad. Well, as Nathan is telling the story, he said, what should be done to this man? And, and David was angry. Remember, David was a little shepherd boy. In the Bible, the word that Jesse, his father, uses for David is hakatan, which means worthless one. I mean, David had probably some self-esteem issues. And he hears that this man, this underdog, right? He's resonating with this story. Has his little lamb taken away. He's angry. And then Nathan looks at him and says, you are the man. And his world comes crashing down around him. And then in his prayer in Psalm chapter 51... He prays this phrase, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And as far as we can tell, the Holy Spirit came upon David and never left David. In the, Holy, in, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and he would go and he would come upon people and he would leave people and that's how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he indwells every believer and never leaves you. But in the Old Testament, there was this very serious terror that King David had. He had seen the Holy Spirit depart from King Saul and seen the disaster that, that, incurred, that occurred. Okay? And so as he's praying and he's confessing his sin, he's pleading and he's begging with God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit was a big deal to King David. So when we look at Jesus being filled with the Spirit, and we see David was terrified to lose the presence of the Holy Spirit, I have a question for you this morning. How concerned are you with being filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you thought about it? How many of y'all thought about it today? This morning when you got up? How about yesterday? Last week, last month, how many of you considered whether or not you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Now you're dwelled within by the Holy Spirit. He indwells every believer, but the indwelling and the baptism are distinct from the filling. How many of you are filled with the Spirit this morning? It's a very ethereal com concept, isn't it? How can I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Let's see what happened next. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the, in the power of of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. And then we see in Philippians, now remember, the, the path, we're going to break down that Luke passage. He was filled with the 
Holy Spirit, and he, he returned to Galilee in, in what? In the, starts with a P, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the impact of that was he had great impact with everyone else around him. So he had this power of the Holy Spirit. Now in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 through 11, adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. In other words, Jesus had no question about who he was, by the way. He didn't have to go around proving and telling everyone, like convincing himself that he was the Son of God. He just knew that he was. Instead of walking around and saying, well, I'm the pastor, I am the Son of God, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. In fact, one of the favorite names for Jesus appears, that of himself, appears to be son of, son of man. That appears to be one of the favorite names for himself. He didn't deny that he was the son of God, but he didn't exploit that reality either. He didn't consider it something to be grasped. Instead, he came here as a, as a servant. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father, to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so we see that the Holy Spirit filled Jesus, his constant companion, the Holy Spirit. We see that he empowered Jesus. Jesus was all God and all man. But it seems as if on many occasions, he relied upon and enjoyed the power of the Holy Spirit operating in his life. See, he was baptized, led by the Spirit to the wilderness, filled by the Spirit, and now we see that he comes back to Galilee empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus is God. Why did he need the power of the Holy Spirit? And this is why I brought Philippians chapter 2 into this. He operated in the power of the Spirit. He never surrendered his deity, but he did take on the fragile form of man. In so doing, he emptied himself of his reputations and privileges, and at times, his deific power. The passage of Philippians is regarded as the kenosis of Christ. The Greek word means to, to deprive a thing of its proper functions. It was a, a self-renunciation, an emptying of himself, but it was not an exchange of his deity for humanity. It was an acceptance of his humanity. In order to identify with man, he had to live a life in such a way that we could learn from him and follow in his steps. Think about that for a second. And so what we see is that he was relying often on the Holy Spirit of God for his power, 
for direction, for his filling, for his companionship. This is the kenosis of Christ. He voluntarily refrained from using his divinity to make his way easier during his earthly ministry. He also completely submitted himself, the Bible says, to the will of his Father. Equal with God, the Father, in every way, but assuming willingly a different role in the Godhead as the Son, submissive to the Father. I've often said submission is not a dirty word when I counsel men and women for premarital counseling. Because submission has become a dirty word in our culture today. No one wants to submit to anyone for anything. But they want everyone else to submit to them. But holy submission is a godly thing. In fact, Jesus displayed it perfectly. As part of kenosis from Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary, as part of kenosis, Jesus sometimes operated within the limits of humanity. Think about this. God does not get tired. God does not get thirsty. And yet Jesus did. God is omniscient. Do you know what omniscient means? Omniscient means that he knows all things without having to experience anything. Consider that for a moment. God did not have to take on the form of humanity to understand humanity. God is omniscient. He knows everything without needing to experience anything because he's God. So why did he do that to himself? Why did the Son come in the flesh? So that we could understand that he understands us. He was a baby. Jesus was a baby. The Son of God was a little bitty baby. He couldn't feed himself. Could he? He couldn't change his own diapers. If they had diapers back then, they had to have something. Ew. Never understood the cloth diaper thing. God bless you if you're doing it. Saving a lot of money. But, ugh. I mean, some of those kids, it looks like they ate something from a Stephen King novel. I'm sorry, Lord. That was not in my notes. Um... Jesus came to earth as a man. He was in the womb of Mary, completely vulnerable. Just like children today. After he was born, Jesus relied upon Mary and those around him for sustenance and survival. He's just a baby. There's people that talk about abortion today and the child's not viable, the child can't survive out of the womb on its own, blah, 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 blah. Well, have you ever taken a newborn, set it on a counter, and just left it there and gone about your business for about a week without touching it? What would happen after about a week? It would be dead. Maybe two weeks, depending on the strength of the baby, but I don't think you can survive more than a week without water and food, especially a baby. And yet, that's one of the arguments for those that are pro-abortion. Well, it's relying on my body. Well, even after it's born, it's still relying on your body. Whether you have formula or not, you still have to make it, put it in a bottle, and stick the bottle in the kid's mouth. I remember when my kids were little, putting the bottle in Kirsten's mouth, and she couldn't hold it. I remember the first time that, well, I don't know if Kirsten ever held a bottle because she was 
disabled, but I remember like when Chloe and Nate would first hold the bottle. You remember that? Oh, he's holding his bottle. Look at his little fingers. You ever have a baby and just look at their fingers? It's the most amazing thing, these tiny little fingernails. You know, they have those in the womb. Anyways, I digress. That's just free for those of you that are struggling with the idea of abortion and, and life. The child can't live on its own after birth. And there's no difference, really, from the day before the birth to the day after. I won't get into the rest of it with you. That's not the purpose here. But the purpose is to explain to you that Jesus was fully human. And the Bible says that he grew. I have a daughter, two daughters and a son, and I watch my son grow up. And, and you know, you watch him when he's a little baby, and he's just crawling around. And the next thing you know, he's walking, and then he's running, and then he's doing all these amazing things. It didn't happen overnight didn't happen overnight. And then uh, he, he turned 15 and a half, and, and my son's like a law like me. Uh, he wanted his license. Like the day he turned 16, he won't have his license in his hand. I don't know how, was it like three or four days after you turned 16? Like it was like right there. Now I was terrified a little bit, but I taught him to drive and did really well. He learned to drive. He didn't just automatically get up one day as a baby and say, give me the keys, Dad. Well, the Bible says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. He, he, he grew in knowledge. He had to learn things. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to reason. And Jesus was brilliant. And we know this because the scriptures teach us this. But he still had to learn. He had to go through the same things we went through. Well, let's go on. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Luke 4. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We see not only was Jesus filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, but that he was led by the Holy Spirit of God. We saw that earlier where we read that he was, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Here he's reading the book of Isaiah, and the Scripture is teaching us that he is anointed by the Holy Spirit for a specific set of tasks. The Holy Spirit was anointing him. The Holy Spirit was leading him. In fact, Jesus is the living Word of God. Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God. They are together. They are one. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. He has anointed me to do these things. He's empowered and he's led and he is filled. This is how important the Spirit was in the life of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter now we read, You are also called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He didn't commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. 
And when he was insulted, he didn't insult in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that is the cross. Having died to sins, that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds, we have been healed. For those who take Isaiah, where it says, by his stripes we have been healed. Peter is clarifying that this is a spiritual healing of our sin. There's no physical ailments that, that, that Peter is referring to. He's clarifying for us that it is our sins that are healed. He goes on, For you are like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Well, was the Holy Spirit important in Jesus' life? What do you think from just a few passages that we expounded upon this morning? What do you think? Was the Holy Spirit active and present in Jesus' life? What, what are your thoughts? Did he anoint him for service in specific ways, in specific areas? What are your thoughts? What were those areas? Oh, guys, come on, man. It, Lord, please forgive me for saying that. What were those areas? To preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed. The oppression we have today is sin. Jesus came to free us. He came to set us free. He came to cleanse us from our sins. That's why Jesus came. In fact, in Matthew, um, the angel told Joseph to name him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. So the mission went on where he was obeying the Father, filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, right to the cross. Where he died on the cross as a human being, experiencing all of that suffering. As God experiencing the sin of man in his body on the tree. Take a moment and think about that. Can you think of the worst sin in your life right now? Just I want you to just think of the worst thing that you have ever, ever done. Besides letting your phone ring. Think of the worst sin that you have ever done. The worst. You have it? Do you have it? Now, I'm not asking you to feel guilty and shameful for, for it if you've already asked for forgiveness of it, but I want you to understand that that sin or those sins, the worst you can think of, the Bible says we're in the body of Christ on the tree. In fact, Paul the Apostle wrote a letter to the church at Corinth and said that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You think about your worst sin. How many years you might have lived in shame with it. And I want you to, I want you to understand. Jesus took that sin in his body. And, and, and he took it willingly. 
He submitted himself to the Father willingly. Jesus didn't go to the cross begrudgingly. In fact, the Bible says that he endured the suffering, he endured the shame for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Do you all know? Who was it? Us. Us. We are the joy of Jesus. Every person that cries out to the Lord Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior, you are the joy of Jesus. You make his death, burial, and resurrection coming to earth as a baby and having to wear cloth diapers. I mean, you make it all worth it. You are the joy of Jesus. And we walk around with our face down on the ground in the dirt living in shame. And, and listen, we should be guilty of our sin so that it drives us back to Jesus so that we might be forgiven, cleansed, and restored in the sight of our Father and our fellowship uh, coming back to life. Restoring our fellowship with the Father. Making it alive. Instead, we wallow in our sins and we stay in our sins and we forget that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, so that we might have life and an abundant life. Not wealth, but life. Our culture confuses life and wealth. Completely separate things. An abundant life, a life that is connected intimately with, the, with our Father in Heaven through the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know Jesus yet? Have you asked Jesus to be your one and only Savior? Or are you still trusting in your good works and your good deeds and your morality and your religion? What are you trusting in today for your salvation? Have you repented and turned to God? Or God, I'm a sinner without excuse. I'm a sinner by birth and a sinner by choice. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the grave. And I know that you said if I would call upon him, he would save my eternal soul. Will you call on Jesus this morning? He came for you. You are the joy of Jesus. On Wednesday night, we've been studying the life of Christ, and we went through the, the parables of lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And at the end of each of those parables, one of the major points in those parables is the celebration over finding that which is lost. One sinner that repents, the Bible says, heaven celebrates for their repentance. You are the joy of Jesus, but I would argue as well that you're the joy of heaven when you confess the Lord Jesus Christ and that God hath raised him from the dead. When you come to Christ for salvation, you are not only the joy of Jesus, you're the joy of heaven. And you'd be the joy of this church if you're here this morning and you haven't yet trusted Christ as your Savior. Or if you're watching online and you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, will you become the joy of Jesus this morning? And if you are the joy of Jesus, I want you to consider this little phrase. I was a youth pastor in the 90s, and this was one of the most annoying things in the world. WWJD, we want Jack Daniels. That's what my youth group turned it into. My youth group was awesome. Right, Patrick? I'm not lying, am I? Nope. <laughs> what does it actually mean? What would Jesus do? 
I had a bunch of teenagers. And some of them were losers. Uh, now, we had a good time. But we had that phrase, what would Jesus do? And a man named Sheldon, I think Sheldon wrote this book in his steps, and it came from First Peter that we just read. We shall follow in his steps. And the breakdown of that passage is he's talking about submitting yourselves to those that have rule over you. He, he, he's warning these Christians, the dispersion, he's warning these Christians in exile. He's like, man, don't worry about it when people are treating you poorly. Treat them well. Be like Jesus. He's talking about warring against the sin which wars against your soul. Not just giving in to sin, but fighting against it. Paul, the apostle, said you've not yet resisted to blood. Striving against sin. Sin is a big deal. It is the weapon of Satan in our lives. But we, we saw this, what would Jesus do? And it was really a movement toward a higher standard, a higher level of morality. And, and the, the question is raised, when you're faced with a moral dilemma, what would Jesus do? You're alone with your girlfriend. I was a youth pastor, so you're alone with your girlfriend. She's dressed a little skimpily. She starts coming on to you. Well, what would Jesus do? It's a moral dilemma. Jesus would say, no. And the perfect example of Jesus in the Old Testament was, was, was um, Joseph. Who, when the wife of his master was coming on to him, he not only said no, but he ran away. Sounds reasonable to me. What would Jesus do? Your friend offers you some drugs. Some of you kids, you young adults. My parents used to teach me this. It's not gospel, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. It's not the last one that kills you. It's the first one. And some of those drugs that they're peddling today, they will latch on to you immediately. Be careful. What would Jesus do? Someone comes up. Some, I got some young kids in the sanctuary today. Somebody offers you something on the playground. Well, what would Jesus do? Well, it seems reasonable to me that he would say, No! Get away from me! I'm not sure he would punch him in the face, but I would recommend that. No, just kidding. However, however, I think in our circles in that day, we focus so much on the morality of Christ, the, the perfection of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, that we missed this part of it. What would Jesus do? Well, let me remind you, church, that a lot of what Jesus did was done by the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his life. If we're not careful, Christianity just becomes a moral law in our lives. We ask the question, what would Jesus do? And then we white knuckle it, we grin, we bear it, we we struggle and we're depressed because we're being oppressed. And I don't think I ever saw Jesus depressed. Even in the garden where he wept and sweat drops of blood. Maybe we should ask, how did Jesus do it? Because we're not Jesus. We don't have 
deity. We are not gods. We do not become gods. We're still just people. And I think one of the beautiful things about the Gospels of Jesus Christ where they reveal to us, they reveal that Jesus operated in the power, the leading, and the filling of the Spirit. I think that is for us to understand what Jesus would do is be filled, empowered, and led by the Spirit. Because as human beings, we need to be led and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the right things. So the very first answer to that question is, be filled, empowered, and led by the Spirit. The second part is, do what's right by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. If you, if you separate the Holy Spirit of, uh, from the equation of Christianity, all you have is dead religion. A religion of do's and don'ts, and, and a religion, by the way, of impossibilities. In fact, the law was written that, the Bible says that we might become exceedingly guilty. That we might know that we are guilty before God. The law wasn't written so that we might become good, but the law is good by revealing to us our evil. And once we come to Jesus and we trust in him for our salvation, he, he, he sends the Holy Spirit and we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and then we have the opportunity to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And then the word which once condemned us and made us appear guilty now lights our path. It becomes a joy to us. And we see the moral law of God operating in our lives and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. It no longer condemns us. It should be a joy to us. It's protective and prescriptive and it's amazing because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to go on next week and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in you. Oh, you're, you're wondering what the next phrase on that is? W-S-W-D? We'll talk about it next week, maybe. I'll just leave you to guess. What would Jesus do? We need to understand that he did what was shown to him by his Father. and He was filled by the Holy Spirit. Please stand. You thought I was kidding? You thought I was kidding? I'm not telling you. You got to come back next week. The trick to this whole thing is I intended on telling you, but I'm not going to tell you, and then I'll probably forget next week. (laughs) Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you been redeemed? Are your sins forgiven? Are you wallowing in guilt and shame? Listen, Jesus can rescue you. He can put your feet on a solid rock. The Holy Spirit will indwell you and will never leave you. All you got to do is ask. Turn, repent, and trust. Turn and trust if you haven't yet trusted in Christ. He wants you. You're not here by accident. The Father is drawing you to Jesus. The Bible says, if I, the Son of Man, be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We we have the cross in our sanctuary because it represents what Jesus has done for us. 
We don't worship the cross, but it reminds us of the cost. If you're a believer here this morning, I hope you understand a little bit better of the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life as you reflect on the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. Man, we go about our days, we go about our business, and so often God is the last thing on our minds. We've got to get up, we've got to get to work, we've got to make our coffee, we've got to feed the dog, we've got to take the dog out. The last thing on our minds is taking a moment and saying, Father, forgive me of my sins, those that I've committed that I can remember. Reveal to me those that I've committed that I've forgotten. Cleanse me, wash me. And fill me with the Holy Spirit, not just His power, but His presence, His person, constant companion of Christ, the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It can be the same with you. He could be your constant companion. He could fill you every single day. Hey, all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.